So this morning, it's to sketch out some of the um, instructions on mindfulness of breathing. Mm. Remember, this is breathing and not breath. So it's a process of uh, inhalation, exhalation, and what happens along with that. It's a process of sankara, in fact, which is the um, the energy that gets the breathing going and how that refers to the experience of the body and how as we come more into the fluency of the body energy in terms of the body we begin to experience the body more in, in that sense rather than just the um, flesh structures that we see with our eyes you know, we, see, we really experience the body as this coming into being form that goes along with is suffused with breathing in and breathing out then you're really getting in touch with sankara and that is uh, the benefit of that reference is you can then really calm and quieten the whole nervous energy down or brighten it up tune it up and that affects the mind so it connects to the chitta sankara which is then touched in on on second group of four instructions is about chitta sankara. <coughs> then, uh, and if it the contemplating chitta sankara, which is the perceptions and feelings, that which brings around perception and feeling, mm-hmm. conditioned by perception and feeling, a kind of you might say an emotional rising up or vacillation or tingling or suffusiveness or happiness you know it's kind of the emotional base Um, through contemplating that then one also begins to experience just the sense of the the mind or the chitta the heart itself Mm. the knowingness you might say the knowingness um that comes from practicing with really seeing that the mind is not the content of the mind. The mind has content, perceptions and feelings. But the mind also is just an awareness of those perceptions and feelings. And then the fourth is the uh, tetrad cluster of teachings around uh, contemplation, uh, which is can be 
basically around the impermanence of all the rest of it, the changeability of the rest of it, the impersonality of the rest of it, the ability to not get caught in the rest of it. So we this is called this is the insight section. So you have these four, and rather than seeing them as as a ladder, you see them as four interactive domains. And primarily, the big interaction is first of all between the body and the mind, and then between the wisdom and the rest of it. So the insight, wisdom, and the rest of it. So. We can contemplate impermanence in the body. We can contemplate cooling and, and, and dispassion in the bodily sense. We can contemplate it in the mental sense. So the, the fourth cluster of teachings really refers to uh, how having steadied and calmed the body, we begin to look into what that experience is as, a, as an ephemeral uh, phenomenon, as a piece of nature. So you get, so you might say that the process of samatha, vipassana, is outlined here. Samatha, making things steady and calm, soothing it, smoothing it out, smoothing out the ruffles and and creases in the body mind, and then uh, vipassana, looking into the nature of what has been spread out as this is just this, it's just nature. Um, then there is a um, relinquishment of the sense of self that can go on in that experience. So, look at it another way, Samatha Vipassana refers to two, two themes. One is about energy. So Samatha is about calming, nourishing, uh, refreshing energy, physically, emotionally, psychologically we feel more happy and pleasant. And then Vipassana is about view, so which is seeing into that. So it's the right view. This all this is cause, condition, generated, not self. There isn't any need to construct a self out of it. We can't self can't be constructed out of it. So the the uh, this is the insight process. Insight is a particular form of wisdom as aimed specifically at that which combines with the samatha process. You're not really so you you see wisdom used many, many times in, in the Buddha's teachings, but the wisdom that's associated with samatha is called vipassana. And the funny thing is that people tend to separate the two. Samatha is one thing, vipassana is another thing, but Vipassana is the wisdom that can arise when you do samatha. <laughs> so they're always seen, the Buddha describes them as conjoined, rather like two oxen yoked together pulling a cart. So samatha and vipassana are seen as two that are necessarily conjoined. If you're good at one, you try to develop the other, and so on. You try to bring them both up to, to uh, online and engaged. So vipassana is the wisdom that can arise when one's mind is calm. Otherwise we use other forms of wisdom to facilitate that process of calming, such as 
the wisdom of knowing what to select as your meditation object. Mm. You know, <laughs> wisdom to know how much you can uh, watch your stamina for a particular form of practice, how you can extend that without straining yourself, and how you can deliberately extend your practice. The wisdom of knowing where your weak spots are and where your strengths are. The wisdom of being able to begin again. The wisdom, these are wisdoms. You know, uh, wisdom of bearing the teachings in mind and applying them, that's also wisdom. So, wisdom of knowing or beginning to be wise about one's body. So, discarding the or putting aside the impressions that we have of body which are based purely upon external uh, perceptions and instead contemplating and experiencing the body internally in and of itself. So that's a certain degree of wisdom. You, you can see the difference. And in terms of we look at the body externally, that's good for shoe sizes and uh, an ID and all that kind of stuff, but it's not much good for Nibbana, really. Because there's always some kind of thing you've got to do about it, really. And, and uh, lots of uh, anxieties and fascinations go on around the external experience of the body. So wisdom is, oh, well, that's that. That's, that's good enough. That, that external thing is all right, good enough. And now focus on the internal. That's also wisdom. So knowing... Where to where to put your attention? All these things. Knowing how to place attention, knowing what attention is, and how to flex it. All this requires wisdom. So you, particular kinds of wisdom, support uh, the calming process, and the calming process allows vipassana to arise, in deep insight into the nature of things. So samatha is really anything that is a response to the question, how does, how does this get more comfortable? How does this get more steady? So you can do metta with attitude. How do I feel more comfortable? I feel more comfortable practicing metta bhavana. I feel more comfortable chanting. You know, I feel more steady and still and satisfied when I do that. That's, then that's the samatha. That's, that, that's a samatha practice. Hmm. Gets your gets your indrias up. <laughs> yeah. So there's a whole range of things that help in that steadying, calming, and uh, so on. Vipassana is the response to the question: What's what's the causes and conditions for this? Experience. What does this experience rest upon? What are the causes and conditions for this particular experience? Why the mind? What's the what's the mind being affected by now? Looking into that. So the more that the mind becomes malleable, pliable, open, willing, um, free from obstructions, the more you can really look into it deeply, because the surface isn't so. Uh, rigid or defensive or agitated. Mm. 
Now, you, you don't have to go, um, it's not, as I say, to be careful of the ladder vision of this, but you might very well say this is, teaching is uh, said to develop the four establishments of mindfulness. So one might say, well, when one's regarding the body, when you're contemplating, when you're doing body practice, then you look into the first cluster of teachings. This is about body. When you're doing, checking in with perceptions and feelings, perceptions and mental feelings, then you, you check in with the second tetrad. When you're looking into the, the mind, that is the knowingness of the mind and what it's being affected by, then the third tetrad become very useful. And then when things are steady, you, you can any of these you can then use the the insight instructions on. So as you're working with your body, then also contemplating whatever is in this bodily experience. Well, look at that, it's changing all the time. It's like a candle flame. It's constantly shifting, flickering, it's like the wind. Shifting, breathing, moving around. How could this be regarded as anything substantial, fixed, eternal, lasting? Um, you know, how can this be that? Mm. And then when you're able to contemplate perceptions and feelings, it's similar. You, you have this, uh, all these perceptions and feelings that arise, also subject to change, shifting, changing all the time. How could you make anything solid out of this? What is it that makes anything solid out of this? Okay. Mm. And so on. And then as it becomes that, that quality of the ephemeral, the relative nature of experience becomes more apparent, then maybe we get less stirred up by it. Mm. So, particularly with mental phenomena, topics can be extremely provocative and, and stickiness. Mm. So the relevance of contemplating citta-sankara, that's the energy that brings them up, the kind of movement of mind, the very movement of mind. Um, Then you shift your attention from the topic to the quality of the movement of the mind. So you're worrying about so-and-so and and -and so-and-so and -and so-and-so and what to do then and -and so-and-so. And you widen and soften a little bit, look at, oh, this is the experience of a lot of stuff moving fast and it's inclining towards looking for some resolution it's that you you sort of come off the topic look at the emotional pattern of something that's searching for ground searching for a resting place Hmm. energy now so that you're coming more from the topical to the underlying emotional movement something searching for ground searching for finality one does contemplate that itself as a stream, bubbly stream. Doesn't have to go anywhere. It doesn't have to be arrive anywhere. It's just bubbling. So you're stepping back and from the even the emotional current now to the energetic current of it. It's bubbling, moving, and through that careful disengagement, not not dismissing but disengaging from the topical trigger 
you know, this is worry and anxiety and it feels like this and then there's that movement, you know, fluttering, rushing, bubbling movement. We're no longer so annoyed by it or trying to change it, just bubbling movement. Mm, So you become more dispassionate. There's less input into that form. Um, It allows it to take a different shape. Dispassion. So the cessation means, or the that the that particular energetic form ceases. That form of the energy ceases, but of course the energy itself doesn't cease. Just that stream then becomes a lake. You might say, for example, there's still the water there, but instead of that moving onwards to get somewhere to arrive at the final place to sort get where I feel satisfied, where things are completed. You kind of let give up that emotional trajectory and just become someone who contemplates the movement of emotion as like water, like a current. And it's even sort of quite be- beautiful in its own way. Emotional current keeps us Responsive, doesn't it? You don't want to not have an emotional current. <laughs> it keeps us responsive, uh, compassionate, and so on. But, so just by disconnecting from the topic, through making peace, not following the emotional push, but just being with that, that current of feeling and sensitivity and you know, all, all that widening, softening, instead of moving forward. Oh, it's this sensitivity, trembling sensitivity. A trembling, tender, tender heart. So there's a, the energy then can change and become settled in itself, just being that tender, sensitive heart. So there's a transmutation that can occur. Transmutation comes, it says you, the topic, is trying to you know, make peace with or set aside the topic because the thing we're worrying about or annoyed about isn't actually here now. It's just something we, that the mind is bringing in. Mm-hmm. The mind is just has it has it internalized an external predicament, you know, my family or whatever, they're out there, they're not actually living in here. Um, so if we internalize that, so it really is the perception of your, say your family or the future or the past or yourself, whatever it is, you know, the perception of it, uh, that's, internalized so then what is bringing that up what is how is that coming up it's being thrown up it's being lifted up it's being propelled it's being moved up now isn't the question the question is actually looking for an answer 
It's just looking for us to change our view of that, that emotion from one of either following it or dismissing it or trying to placate it to, oh, look at that, what is that current? Can I look at it just as a current, a turbulent, bubbly current? And then softening, widening their attention. There's something quite beautiful about it. To, to have that vibrancy in it. So it doesn't, it, we're not seeing it so much as a problem as a an energy that, that is uh, itself uh, quite uh, beautiful, but needs to be carefully held, gathered, collected. Mm. So then the, the form of the energy then can cease. That is, instead of it being worry or anger or something, it just becomes heart, potential heart, full, rich heart. That's the ceasing of the, of the pattern and then what's called complete relinquishment here is called abandonment or patinitsuga in this sutta which means this is just the nature of heart it's not you don't have to create a person out of it or a personal psychology out of it um, you know, I am this or I'm not this or I, any of that so that relinquishment of that takes the pressure off and then it can be just something quite bright radiant there mm. that would happen if we are contemplating perceptions and feelings and generally by and large this is what people come down to because this is say the area that we most often feel ourselves engaged with <coughs> and uh, you know and certainly, you know, in cultivation, there's the cultivation of turning perception and feeling skillfully towards uh, Buddha Dhamma Sangha, love and devotion, uh, loving kindness towards others. So it's certainly turning that that channel around. And then, but then this other uh, element of the teaching is about using the body to to support a careful holding, stabilizing, steadying of that. And you use the body by using the, the body, the kaya sankara, the breathing body. So we're breathing into our irritation or emptying or drawing our irritation into the breathing. Breathing your your frustration, breathing your uh, worry, you know, breathing your rage. <laughs> and the relationship between the two. Now, on a behavioral level, then it's you know, quite clearly we don't want to act upon rage and so on. There's a sense of, no, this is not skillful, this is not good. But naturally, that is not the end of the story. And so we think, well, you don't want to be suppressing rage. But then what do you do? You're going to 
you know, punch teddy bears or you know, thrash, kick your feet on the ground or something. Uh, but just kind of try to cathart it. <laughs> but that doesn't really um, transmute it. It's exhausted, but you don't transmute. Now, the possibility in cultivation is to transmute the very energy of our tension and our rage and our sadness into enlightenment. Which is great because you've got plenty of all that stuff. So you've got the raw materials already there uh, and just learning how do you turn it. So just as we were doing some of the Qigong exercise where you, you deliberately build up a certain kind of tension, you know, resting on the tension instead of trying to you know, flop out of it or toughen up and hold it. You just loosen up around the, the tense place in your body as if it's something supportive, leaning on your tension instead of trying to rise out of it or harden up around it. Uh, so, and then you can feel something shifts and the energy that was of tension transforms into the energy of vitality. This is something akin to a process that um, can occur in meditation whereby the very energy of our difficulties, once we have firmly put the topic aside and relinquished the acting on it, uh, even towards ourselves and cooking up more and more um, stories around it, let's go to the energy of that, and then breathing into it, holding it with the breath body. So it's not no longer resisting it or even dismissing it, but, but transmuting it. This leads definitely leads to its ceasing. And that yeah, but the ceasing is not an anesthetic, it's not surgery. The ceasing is through transmuting. And the image we might use, say you have a, you know, a hose pipe with a lot of pressure, water flowing down that hose pipe so much that when it is on, you have to really hold your feet on the ground to hold that hose pipe because it's going to thrash around. You know? So much power in that hose pipe. Then you go to the bank of the Mississippi River and you put the hose pipe in the river. The river just doesn't hardly notice it. You know, it just, so it's so big and so vast that that pressurized current just goes into the river and it's immediately, we haven't switched the hose off, we haven't tried to cork it, put a cork in it, we've just taken it to the right place where it can, it can transform. Buddha uses the image of uh, a grain of salt Using, using a pinch of salt. And he says, you put a pinch, say, or half a teaspoon of salt in a small cup of water, the water tastes very salty. But if you put that into the Ganges River, it doesn't change at all. So, you know, just bear it in mind, what are you going to do, you know, <laughs> with these emotional currents? 
So you can go with all kinds of um, something wrong with me, quiet down, calm down, be better, let go of it, forget about it, doesn't really matter. After all, so-and-so, so-and-so, well, life's like that, and mustn't hang on, and all these kind of things that just keep skirting around the topic that I feel pretty, you know, <laughs> stirred up about that, that sense, you know, or disappointed, or hurt. Mm-hmm. Strong, feel quite strongly about it. So every day you can put it down, the next time it triggers, it happens again. Or maybe it happens again and then there's an increasing sense of weariness that goes on with it. Like, here I go again. I know this is getting me nowhere. I'm going to go through that whole scenario again of why is he like that? And I did the best I could and so forth. And listen, it's grinding on. <laughs> and then eventually, say, oh, forget about it. It doesn't really matter. And then, bluff. You know, <laughs> There's no injury in that, is it? It's just sort of, <laughs> it's a collapse into, into getting by. A shrug. You know, so, <laughs> and that, there's no, it's a loss. It's, you just drop the topic. So, but I feel the effects of that, and I'm sure we all do that. We just eventually shrug off something and you leave it in a little compartment in the back room. Your harumph, I call it the harumph basket. These things. <laughs> You, can, you put another one in the harumph basket. That back room's getting full of harumph baskets. <laughs> and then you go and retreat, all the baskets come f- tumbling forward, spew all over the floor again. <laughs> You've got to put them back, stack them back in there again, because I'm supposed to be meditating here. <laughs> and not attached. But then you also realize, goodness, if this has happened over just through the last 20 years or so, and it looks like I've got another 30, 40 years in this incarnation to go, that back room's going to be pretty full. Because <laughs> <laughs> as you meditate, you tend to get more sensitive uh, to things, and little things that you know, affect you, because you're sensitizing. Now, is it a possibility that all that could be transmuted? And, I, I think so. But we'll see. But remember, if maybe I'm wrong, but we'll see if we. But if we sustain, you know, the, the indriya, we don't give up on ourselves in the loss of faith. We don't say, oh, you know, just the way. What happens in that in that shrug? You know, in that well, I can't do anything about it. That's not an indriya, is it? That's not faith. Confidence isn't there. Hmm? Enthusiasm isn't there. Yeah. Not much wisdom, really seeing into it. So this this is not a result of the indriya. This is a result of coping. Mm-hmm. Now, so what comes out of confidence, sadha, enthusiasm, or aspiration, energy, enthusiasm, and getting it, holding it, you know, turning energy towards something, mindfulness, bearing it in mind, firming up, staying with, firming, firming, refusing to proliferate, but just holding it steady, panya, 
discernment, looking into that, really what's all this about, what comes out of that? And I, I would suggest there's something really rather remarkable that can happen with that. This is a very remarkable teaching. It's a little bit beyond, you know, coping and uh, explaining. And, you know, it's a, I think something rather profound can happen here uh, that makes people really, you know, deep, profound, measureless, able to have a space to let all kinds of conflict happen and not get structured around it. So that's my sense of what can happen through the ability to, to meet uh, the negativity or the, or the emotional current carefully at uh, the emotional and then particularly the energetic level, where it's just the push, the rush, the bubbling, you know, the swirling. And even visualize it as that. And then taking that into your breathing, taking it into your breath body, taking it into the that rhythmic flow of in and out. So we know nothing in us then is make proliferating about it, nothing then in us is closing it, nothing in us is then favoring it or disfavoring it. We're just handling an energy. And perhaps, you know, that the energy of all that affliction then can transmute into something very uh, enriching. Is this what the noble truths are about? You know, the ceasing of suffering through the relinquishment of every kind of craving, craving to be, craving to find an answer, craving to become other than this. So we just really come into the here and now of what's happening and that's what takes confidence, energy, mindfulness, collectedness, and wisdom. And these are the qualities the Buddha said, these five indriya, when properly cultivated, these incline to the deathless, lead to the deathless, merge in the deathless. Isn't that interesting? These five, properly cultivated, merge in the deathless. Well, that puts them up pretty high. Whatever else we want to, if you don't, don't necessarily understand what that means, but it means that these are top-notch stuff. Can we, hand, can we cultivate that around our experience? And uh, the Buddha is saying, well, you know, you can get you can get all this within one focal system, say of of using breathing. Now you could of course specialise just on you know one particular facet, but so you can get the whole thing into this. These 
mindfulness of breathing brings to fulfillment the four establishments of mindfulness, the enlightenment faculties, leads to Nibbana. And it's really basically because the, the, the Kaya Sankara and the Jitta Sankara come into alignment. They, they, they empathize, they sympathize with each other so that the steadied bodily energy helps to and becomes the vehicle and the container for the heart which then experiences a sense of rather like the Mississippi being this great vast current that can absorb you know all the hose pipes in the in the world Of course, with any of these, you know, there are other practices that can just help us to deal with the topic of our issues, you know, people, things, places, what I should do, what I shouldn't do. So we look at sila, we look at metta, um, we look at those cultivations just to help to give us some handle on the topic. Uh, And then the movement of of this sutta is towards going into... You know, we, we've sort of come to terms with the topic in some way or another, and then we go into, you know, the the energy of it. And the the primacy of, primacy of that is that, you know, you can work through one topic, but then pretty soon another topic is going to come in and push your buttons again. So, okay, I've dealt with this person, and now something else same energy comes up around another one which you know becomes apparent after all it wasn't just all that one person or that one event we're getting the same tune happening around another thing so whatever we do with topics we really want to come to terms with the triggering the emotion and the energy you know and doing this so using <coughs> the body because <clears throat> when you look at something like you know you know fear for example which can come down to anxiety or or you know subtle fear anxiety um you know and so on this is really quite instinctive it's not you don't have to think much to do it it's instinctive your body activates around fear you know you see some dark shape looming up in the night time before you figure out what it is you already feel whoa you know something sharpens up doesn't it then you check it out and it's just uh, you know the guy next door it's not a bear but for a moment you've got the hit and your body's supposed to do that in case you're thinking about something else at the time <laughs> you know the body kicks in before you can even think about it so with fear energy a rage, which is a defense, we bristle at the possibility of being threatened. So these are very instinctive. So you don't find their their roots in the heart. You find them in the body. So if we can cultivate body, you can come almost to those nerve endings and work with those. As you may know in yourself or in others that what happens is that these 
energies which may have been indeed triggered by reasonable causes, the body gets activated into those, it doesn't always discharge. So we remain on kind of half red alert for a lifetime or for a long time. Hmm? So that remains in the body. It forms certain constrictions in your body. You know, uh, so and there's a lot of things to make us feel that that red alert sense. You know, a lot of threatening things we can see, we can read about, we can hear machines whirling and crashing. We see strange people looming up. We hear kinds of things, and you know. So, and then you're in this world where you can easily get kind of overwhelmed, and you might very well have been, you know, attacked or bashed or something at some time or another so you know that one and then you go into that because it, after a while it just stays there as a residual impression <coughs> so we've got to come to in the body you can begin to find those places of triggering and breathe through them yeah, so we have anger uh, fear uh, Two primary arousals, and, uh, uh, sensual desire, sexual desire, and sensual desire. Also, something instinctively switches on. Um, you know. So you come into to those places where you know you want to come off of red alert on it. And you have some choice over you know, sexual life, for example not just there, they're stuck. <clears throat> um, sorrow, grief, depression, again, that, that is a particular bodily sense where you, you cave in. I know people who energetically seem to have, you know, holes in their chests. Um, depression, sinking, as if there's nothing there in the chest. Mm. And can't feel anything there in the chest. The heart's gone. That's one of the most saddest diseases of um, humanity. I think it's considered to be the number one life retarder in the West. Is is some form of depression. It means loss of heart. Give up, you know. So that sinking, there's no energy there. And you've got to feel it really much. The chest is gone. Mm-hmm. And you can't go in there and, and stick it together. <laughs> you can't go to the, 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 the bad place. You've got to go to where there's some flicker of okayness. Yeah. It could be in your lower back or somewhere. And you start to come from there and drawing energy up and breathing from there, breathing through these difficult places. So we find places in our body where the energy is sort of more settled or okay, and you go to there feeling that and then begin to draw energy through the more difficult, either tensile or empty, stale or stagnant or locked places. That's the that's a process you can undertake with this first tetrad. And that in itself means that after a while you just don't get so many, the triggers 
don't really throw you so far anymore. You may feel a little bit annoyed about somebody, but it comes, you're a bit annoyed and then it passes and it's gone. You're not staying there. It doesn't stick. <coughs> and that's good because, you know, we're not trying to become bland. But you're going to think, no, that's, that's not right. Right, said my bit, finished. <laughs> yeah, it's not like, well, whatever. <laughs> where, where you, you know, you can feel yourself. Doing that, that in, that's inappropriate, that's improper. I feel strongly about that. But it doesn't have to remain locked. So even then, you know, compassion can have an angry aspect to it. A certain sense of this is, you know, not for your welfare, foolish person. The Buddha could certainly turn on the heat when he needed to. <laughs> I don't think he's, he walked around continually mumbling and muttering to himself. You know, took a lot of hard work to get enlightened. I'm dishing it out, and these lazy slobs don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> So that that sense of you know feeling that energy of this is inappropriate or stop doing that and then it's finished. So you know you see that then we're not really criminalizing these energies in themselves. They're part of our system. You want to criminalize it, but getting stuck in it is uh, is where it goes wrong. Attachment stuck stuck in it. It's no longer a facility. It becomes a pathology. You're angry about things as nothing, to, no, no point about it. Or it becomes a life view. <clears throat> because eventually these energies become the things that hold us together. They become structured into a psychology. So it's only my tension that keeps me together. <laughs> it's only my addictions that hold me together. <laughs> because we haven't really developed the uh, you know, other foundations. Yeah. So let's go back to the the main plot again. So here we start off. If we're looking at the first tetra, if you're contemplating body, and it's notice it, there is a certain sequence to it. We're both in this and the mindfulness sutta. The Buddha says, "Well, let's start really building up mindfulness, the body, as a foundation, as a reference point, and you know, work with that. And you may very well, as you're doing that, then go off and." with some mind stuff and then maybe you need to do some work on some mind stuff and then work on some mind stuff, some issues, and then you can come back to this again. So it's not just, you've got to get this absolutely 100% before you can even have a single thought. But you know, it's, a, it's your first base till you, you go out into your thinking process and drop that back into your body and you keep moving until you become more and more fluent in turning your attention to the body. How does, it, how does my body feel when I... Um, you know, feel sad or disappointed or somebody annoys me, how does that feel in my body? And can I breathe? Can I reach that in my breathing? Can I feel myself breathing into that, not resisting it, but capturing the energy with your breathing? Capturing the energy with your, with your out-breath and in-breath. Mm. So here the, the exercise 
is uh, first of all pajanati, which means to be thorough, to be fully aware of breathing in and breathing out. So satova asasati, satova pasasati. Be mindful of it, recollect it, bear it in mind, uh, even think about it. Yeah. Ah, breathing. Remember that. You know. <laughs> Remember that stuff. Uh, so. Bearing it in mind either as a concept, a theme, or as a direct experience. And naturally we'd find the direct experience is going to be more fulfilling, but at least we can keep bearing it in mind. Uh, and then, okay, Pajanati, which is breathing in long. One Pajanati is one is breathing in long. <laughs> So pajana is to to do with thoroughly um, knowing. Again, knowing is put it in uh, quote marks. Fully aware, fully attuned, listening to, taking in the theme of the of the fingers of attention and the palm of awareness. If you're touching something, fully taking it in. Uh, this is. What breathing? You're just breathing in, feeling the length of the breathing. This seems to me to be an instruction in first of all to find the full track of the breathing, because often people will feel that breathing occurs, say, between their throat and about their diaphragm. You know, it's that bit, lung, nose, lung. You know? So the long track is all the way down to the base of the abdomen, the slow is as long as you can get it and all the way up to behind your eyes so the long track mm-hmm. <clears throat> so it's the encouragement to, to lengthen to find the fullness of it mm-hmm. what happens when you know in my belly when I breathe all the way out can I let go a little more can I breathe out a little more and more and more until there's nothing left and then you can coming down the body and as you where does it begin when you all the breathed out how, how does it begin oh you feel a pulling low down in your body pulling and then the feeling that the, the breath climbing up through the body right and then you feel a something you know can you sense if your head face is is quiet and loose enough can you feel something flushing internally not just the air touching your nostrils, also some kind of internal lighting up that occurs in the head. So feeling the full track of that. It's a long, long breath. Pajana, you're just sensing it, fully aware of it. Aware of breathing in short. So the breath will tend to... um, quiet and as it finds its full length it tends to breathe less breathing becomes smaller softer quieter so can we be with that this is where sometimes it's as if the sensations begin to to fade out because the the short breath is not very hasn't got a lot of muscle in it so if we're just tuning into the muscle or even the, the sensations in the nostrils, it can seem as if we're losing it because it becomes subtle. But 
the shorter the breath becomes in this respect, the brighter the energy becomes. So if you tune into the energy, you find that the energy doesn't change, it becomes brighter. But you're using less respiration to kindle the energy. So there's a samadhi process that's occurring there. As your mind collects, the energy collects and is less physical stuff needed to activate it. It's just so you get in the bright inner breath. Mm. Sensing and then it says training oneself. So it's changing sikkati means to train or to follow. Mm. So thoroughly sensitive to the whole body. Pati Sangvedi. So Veda is to feel Sung is an emphasizer, and Pati is another emphasizer. So in a thoroughly, completely feeling the entire body. So sometimes that can be translated as ex- thoroughly sensitive to or fully experiencing the entire body. And Vedana is associated with a receptive feeling. So you know, it's that which happens to you. So we sensitive to is quite a good way of looking at it. The entire body, as you experience it through that process, as you experience it through through what we've just done, we've begun to collect on breathing in, breathing out, and then feel the whole of it, the entirety of it, and then the, the quietening, the inner brightness of it. How do you know you have a body then? And can you sense sensitized to all of it. There can be some sense of spreading, suffusing, tingling, radiating, and you widen to feel how that's happening. You may sense it happening in your head or your chest, and you want to really widen to include all of it, because if you don't, what happens is the energy tends to build up in one certain area, and you become unbalanced. So get, first of all, get the sense of a completeness Translate it again, sensitive to your entire nervous system. Maybe another way of looking at the internal reference of the body is the nervous system. I don't think they had a word for it in Buddha's time. Nerves. But we certainly got plenty of them. Uh, Now we've got words for it. (laughs) Somatic sense. Feeling all of that. And it's like... You're staying in one place now. You could be staying somewhere in the center of your body. Wherever, wherever your mind feels it wants to settle down. Staying in the one place. And it's like you're in a place which has got all these um, channels. And, um, and you can listen into all of them. Like, like being in a telephone exchange, you might say. Without moving, you can hear what's going on. You can sense all the connections. You can hear all what's going on everywhere else. A bit like being in a room in a retreat center. You can hear people coughing three rooms down or somebody closing a door at the end of the corridor <laughs> without changing your space. You know? you're staying in one place, you can feel the widening of the energy. And you don't have to name even where it is, but you get the sense of really including all of it, but staying centered.
and that allows one to the last section of it is pasambayam, smoothing out, smoothing out the ripples and ruffles and jangles and tingles. So this is uh, moving from uh, to piti and pasadi. Piti is an aroused, activated happiness, and sukha is a soothed, eased out quality. And these have a physiological as well as a psychological effect. Um, and that's that's as good as you can get with the body. You've done that lot. You've done good, really, really good. That's as good as you can get with the body. That's that's the Olympic standard. So if you don't make it 100%, so you get some sense of getting your breathing and then feeling that, and then perhaps your mental formations come barging in, you've got to give them some attention. So you deal with that and you come back again. Perhaps every time you able to deal with some of the psychological, emotional stuff. You come back a bit more refreshed, a bit more confident. And now you can breathe a little more deeply because as some of this um, stuff unravels, you might find something opening in your body that allows you to feel emotionally something else more fully that wasn't being felt before. Then you've got to kind of, you know, be with and handle that. And as that gets resolved, you come back into your body, your body is now much looser and more open. You're sitting with that, and then something else comes up. And you've got to deal with that, and whatever that is. And again, something as things get released, they spin out into certain emotional, mental patterns. And you can either try to hold them, hold them in your bodily frame. And so it's a sort of shuttling between the two. Is in practice what people will tend to go through. It's not like you just do one strand, pure and simple, and then move on to the next. There's a a cross-referencing. Kind of reminder again, you know, whatever is being felt, emotionally, perceptions, feelings, breathing into them, taking them into your your body. Take them into the end of the out-breath. Think about it at the end of your in-breath. Feel it in the middle of your chest as you're breathing out. Mm. Feeling the anxiety and then breathing all the way out. Mm. Through it. So using this cross-referencing to um, keep our sense of faith and application of energy and mindfulness keep the indriya intact. So they will stay there and support us in our practice. <coughs> so now it's time to spend the day. Um, Meditation, and then this evening will be a, uh, the question period. So, if you like, anyone would like to pop pet questions in the bowl? It's a big bowl, but it won't be. <laughs> <laughs> I'll do, deal with a few.